people put your hands together that was the 11 and probably now 12 year old almost 12 years old Prisca Smolens uh, recorded by her father Tim Smolens doing a rendition of Steely Dan's Razor Boy uh, one of the most uh, a very complex song as songs go and I think uh, I think Nick could uh, could back me up on that. Let me make sure. Um, okay, so the you know Nick essentially the uh, the uh, artists uh, basically the musicians musicians are Steely Dan guys that are known for literally taking a year <laughs> to create a song. Is that correct? I think so. You know more about Steely Dan than I do, but yeah, yeah. I mean they're they're well well respected. Okay. <laughs> okay, so joining me right now, it's MMA BJJ in Life. I'm your host, DJ San Marco. I had to digress because of the brilliance of this uh, 11-year-old artist. I'm going to uh, see what else her and her dad have posted on YouTube because the first one was so brilliant. Uh, let me welcome in our co-host, uh, the Dr. Willoughby, the Thrillaby Woo, who's got lots on his mind this week, along with a baseball hat on backwards. Oh, you don't, it's not a baseball hat, DJ. It's not? Let me show you what hat it is, baby. Oh, man. Is it LA Lakers? No. What am I, hold on, let me, let me move the recording out the way, man. What, oh, what's up, man? Gracie Baja, beautiful new hat, man. That looks good. In the house. Oh, let me show you this, too. Let me show you this. I got a little background behind the hat, also. Let me show you that. Is that Felipe de la Monica, the legend? That is the signature of the awesome Felipe de la I love, Monica. I love Felipe, man. Next time I come there, I'm going to have him sign my kimono, man. Uh, so check it out. But you want to hear the background behind? Well, you want to yeah. hear the background behind this GB wear? Yes. GB but, wear edition cap. But you not wearing a Lakers hat, you ain't getting invited to Taco Tuesday anytime soon. But yes, go ahead. I no, I don't. I don't think I have any. I don't think I have any. <laughs> I don't think I have any LA Lakers paraphernalia. <laughs> we can fix that. <laughs> Although I don't know if we did a little discussion on the Lakers, but what they did was ridiculous. Uh, some people say put an asterisk on that world championship for put being an the hardest one. On it yeah, for being the hardest one exactly. <laughs> Is that me? You, me, you, Nick Wright think exactly the same, DJ. <laughs> and joining us is our heavy metal playing sociology having nursing school going to Nicholas Cazono. What's up? What's up? Hey, brother. <laughs> All right, Will is going to tell us the fascinating story of his Gracie Baja hat. What's up, Holmes? Oh, check it out. So it's like a, they call it the patch. I think they called it the patch hat or something like that. So I'm walking into Gracie Baja to, um, to go to my kids, uh, drop off my kids. Not why well, I don't drop them off. I go and watch, but take my kids to jujitsu class. And you know, that's the monster the kids jujitsu uh, classes at Gracie Baja are monsters. I know everybody says they have a monster kids class <laughs> in, in their own academy, but um, we'll not say like this is 60 the monster, kids. Monster. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a big program and the kids are just killers. And from when my kids started, now you have you have kids who are in that junior program who are now college age or close to college age. And they 
are absolute killers. Like they they turn into blue belts right when they get sixteen years oh, old, gosh. Nick. And, and they're not blue belts. Like, they're like oh, no, brown, no, no, no. brown belt level. They're, they're not like blue these belts. secret yeah. high level brown belts, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And so you get like this scrawny, skinny, sixteen uh, year old kid with a blue belt, and then you get this dude that just probably watched UFC and thought it was cool to sign up and train jujitsu oh, or something like that. Yeah, and they get and worked. Is, <laughs> and is wondering what the heck just happened to them and then it's super funny but they have a killer kids class but i'm walking in the kids class and just before um marco joka pew pew uh who's the uh he runs gb where um i see a post of like this patch it's just like he just posted like this just this patch or a circular uh design of gb and i go oh that's pretty sweet so i see him and i go dude that patch would look sweet on a hat. And he looks at me and he goes, guys get big. And he goes, I'll be right back. He goes to sit down because he's taking his kids to the class too. Goes to sit down and he's just, you know, on his phone. And I'm like, okay, I'm like in my corner. It's hilarious to watch him because he's a black belt and then his son's in the class. And it's like, he's got to stay on the bench. He can't say anything because he's got to be the perfect role model, right? Because he is who he is, but he is the perfect role model for a parent. Um, and so he's on his phone. I'm just figuring, you know, he's doing his business stuff. And he comes to me like 20 minutes into class. He's like, uh, he's like, hey, Bomba. He calls me my nickname at the academy is Bomba. He goes, hey, Bomba, check this out. And apparently he was uh, on texting or on the phone with the, with the designers in Brazil or something like that. And they were putting this hat together, like right then and there. And he just shows me the mock-up of this hat. And I go, and he goes, what do you think? I'm like, dude, that's close, man. That, that looks really good. And so uh, time goes on. He goes, oh, the cat's getting close. He goes, when it gets there, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll, you'll get one. And so um, the hat came out. And I, can't, I think they called it the patch hat or something like that. But um, I like to say, and I think I'll verify this, but it's probably the best selling, probably one of the best selling hats that GB Wear has ever had. They had a couple different models. And then what was super cool is that uh, Pew Pew gave me the Brazilian a version of the hat that I don't think ever got released here in the U.S. and might not have even gotten released in Brazil. And then he gave me the U.S. version of the hat. And so I had, uh, of course, man, I had to get my hat signed by the, the great Felipe the Del Monica. Yeah. Yeah, the legend. And then um, still missing is Pew Pew's signature. So um, this is special occasion hat. Like when I'm playing golf and it's a serious match, and it's like deathmatch style. I put this hat on, right? It's this. This is serious. It's like uh, one of the go-to hats. So that's kind of the story about the hat. If, if I can compress like a zip file, everything Will just said, it comes down to the words of one Fredo Corleone. I'm smart. I know how to do things. I'm not dumb <laughs> like everybody says. <laughs> <laughs> I was that was a <laughs> there's never an inappropriate time for a godfather reference <laughs> <laughs> that was a total totally cool experience to see how that it came is about no actually it's and cool. then watch and, and you are smart and, then, and i'm not surprised that you were able to do come up with that and then and then watch how like people react to it and then just like people being like super cool with it right like not, not not um not worried about me stepping on his toes or getting the credit man at he's he's citing his sources and that's a good even if he's not a student that's a good trait to have 
So it's sweet because I call it the Bombay line. It's not officially known as that. We call it the Bombay line. And then when he's like smashing me on the mats and like he's at a point where he could submit me in two different ways, right? It's that critical point where he can just a matter of which one he wants to do, right? I give him ideas about additional Bombay line apparel ideas <laughs> one is more more sleeveless rash guards and if you know me um i like the sleeveless rash guards well uh professor fabal from brazil uh who's one of the toughest guys in there um he is a uh, special agent for ice as well as a jiu-jitsu black belt from brazil and he says of pio pio he says when i when i grapple with him i go from bad positions only to worse positions Never to a better position. So, all right, let's let let let's wait. I gotta tell this. I gotta I gotta, okay. I gotta tell this. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, AJ, but this is a classic one, right? Oh, we've, we've got plenty the, of show those... left. At least half. <laughs> Go ahead. Will. Those two, those two have constant battles in life training, right? So they're training, and I look over, and they're on the opposite side of the mat. And I kid you not, Pew Pew is riding is on football like back a horse and riding him like a bull and doing the lasso like he's gonna lasso thing <laughs> it's you know super there, there, there's levels to this shit so uh <laughs> there okay. is a, we no, can get started now we no, i mean now. it's, it's th- that was illustrative of what he said to me you know because uh basically to put it in context if fabal's been training there i don't know seven or eight years and, and he's a black belt also, you would think by now he would have made enough ground on Pio Pio, on uh, Marco Joka, but he hasn't. So, <laughs> so. Well, I mean, he's posting like these 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 photos of him training jujitsu, and it's like he's like with Hicks and Gracie like back in the day. Yes, like yes. Like, dude, how, how, like, how old are you? Or are you just Photoshopping these or what? No, he's just, you know, he he's been around a long time. He has a lot of jujitsu greats. Yeah, yeah, but totally. there's a reason that they chose Marco to be their, you know, one of their head instructors worldwide, and uh, there's there's. A... Oh, I was talking about Fabon's pictures with Hickson and, and like old school dudes. Yes, like well, I know, but yeah. in when you put them together, and then Fabal doesn't come on top in the mats, you go to go. Well, how good is this guy? Well, this guy's that good, you know. Marco's that good, but anyway, I don't want to bore the rest of the listening universe with tales of. Uh, Gracie Baja, but if you are in SoCal and you're in Irvine and you want to get some great fundamental jiu-jitsu and sport jiu-jitsu, the welcome that you're going to get is probably going to be one of the best that you will get anywhere. And I would encourage you to go to Gracie Baja headquarters in Irvine. Look it up on Google. It's right at uh, I-5 and uh, is that uh, San Canyon? San Canyon Road. So yeah. um, a lot of and waiting at the door, waiting at the door for you with a big welcome and a big hug will be lead singer of Oleander, Thomas, Thomas Flowers, Flowers. If you visit. Yes, we've we've come full circle back to Tom Flowers. All yes. right. Um, I'm taking this Nick. I'm, I promise you I'm taking the show back from Will. It's not we're going to we're going <laughs> to oh, try man. to rest it from his like his chart test and like cold dead hands. More okay. more fires in Orange County. Get him the hell out of here. More fires, please. <laughs> You know, it's a good promote. You know, it's a it's a sales pitch for uh, Gracie Baja. You know, hey, nothing is, wrong with that. It is Will's as uh, he has the show. His rigor mortis ridden hands are clasped around the shaft of the show. Uh, but uh, let's get to some MMA. Nicholas Cazono, you had a lot on your mind. Um, uh, so tell me, uh, 
what what you were thinking about this week relative to MMA. I mean, Tiago Santos is coming back. I feel like there's so much going on in the world of MMA that a lot of a lot of cool things get passed up. And I think one of them is, yeah, the return of Tiago Santos fighting Glover Teixeira. I probably butchered his name. Teixeira. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool last name. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people overlooking it because, you know, Khabib just retired. He beat the brakes off Gagey, you know, the John Jones, Izzy thing, you know, all this stuff going on that some, some cool stuff gets blown, blown away or whatever. But yeah. Tiago Santos returning. Uh, a lot of fans that you know know him are excited for him to come back. Just my only concern with him coming back is the sort of multiple injuries that he sort of had in his uh, fight with John Jones, and how he will come back if he comes back the same fighter. Is he going to come back a fraction of himself? He's going to come back better. You know, a lot of people are only sort of. They like to see. They like to remember the last thing you've done in MMA. So the last thing he's done was a great fight. John Jones. A lot of people thought he won. He looked incredible, and but you know he tore his MCL, ACL, PCL, and this PCL. Pretty much everything in his knee got just ripped apart. So, uh, two years I think for him to come back, and we'll see what happens. He's not a young buck anymore. He's not in his twenties. He's in his early to late or early to mid thirties. So we'll see how he looks this this Saturday. Well, that's where we're going to have to get to the doctor on this one to kind of contextualize where Tiago Santos might be at relative to his age. Uh, Glover Teixeira is amazing. Uh, I did actually get to interview him at the Fort Campbell. Uh, oh, at the, cool. the, the hotel actually it was at the the hotel in Nashville. The card was in Fort Campbell, and I got to hang out with him because uh, Honey Marks was fighting, so he was there. Uh, he was a training partner, and uh, he's a really awesome guy. So uh, I, I really like him, uh, and I also like his skill set. I think it's going to have to be wrestling one hundred and one going up against Tiago Santos. But Will, first of all, let me just ask you: Did you see the fight with Jones and Santos? I did. I thought that was, I enjoyed it. It looked like that was the first time I saw John Jones a little bit hesitant of someone's uh, striking power. Oh. And then you can, you could, oh gosh. Yeah. It was like a, a stick of dynamite ready to explode. And we always t- like, we get talk of rematches, right? Khabib, Connor, which will never happen, which is good. I'm happy because thanks to Khabib, why does he need to do that fight? Cause that wasn't even uh I wasn't even close. Mm-mm. And you hear other fights that that uh, they're talking about rematches. Why wouldn't they, why would you go at that fight again? Right? That would be a good fight to That's run really back. And and Santos and Santos had that injured knee throughout. It wasn't like we found out about it at the very end. It's like you could tell that his oh, knee was hurt yeah. throughout the fight. Yeah. Right. What what was and interesting so, is that he he couldn't plant. He could kick with the torn leg. But the other yeah. leg was also torn, <laughs> yeah. so he was using that one to kick with because he couldn't balance on it. It was crazy. Totally. And so you look at that fight in terms of what he was going through physically, and you go, "Why not run that one back?" Um, but apparently, it just reveals that the only formula for running fights back is uh, what the uh, what the dollar value will be, I guess. And some really good fights that you want to see again, they'll just kind of. Put it to the wayside and 
go on and move on. Well, but so I was a little, I was a little bit bummed about that. But athletically speaking, Will, if you could discuss for the audience, given what you saw, what happened to Santos with uh, both knees, one was more torn than the other. How yeah. do you expect him to be affected? What did you say his age was, Nick? He's thirty. What? Uh, I'm a, I have to look it up. Okay, I know he's would, in his 30s. If you, if you would check, I'll check that, that real quick. See if yeah. you can check the, the specific injury while Will talks in general. I so. tried looking up the specific so, injury. They weren't they weren't really specific, specific. on like okay. on you know what, <laughs> what he was worsening. You know, ligaments. Yeah. Three or four yeah. ligaments. Okay. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, we do, we deal with a lot of Oh, he's thirty six. He's my age. Okay. We deal with a lot of lower extremity injuries and try to prevent a lot of lower extremity injuries with our training at the center at the university, um, you know, with a variety of athletes that we work with. And I have a conversation with one of our primary sport med, one of my primary sport medicine colleagues, is that ACLs are super common these days, right? It's not like how it used to be a while back. So a lot of people tear them. Usually they come back just as strong. But I think one of the things that is relevant is the length and the amount of time that it takes. And she says it's usually about a year. And then you just think about it physiologically, it's about a year to have the, you know, have have it repaired. But then the other thing that she's, she mentioned was, then there's the psychological challenge of it is, do you feel that you can move the way you can move or use it the way you could use it before? Or is it still in the back of your mind that it's hurt, even though it's fine, right? It might test out to be fine. Um, you might not have any pain, but then there's still that psychological component to it. And so I don't know exactly. Has it been over a year? Yes. Oh, yeah. It was July 6, 2019. So we're, yeah, okay. not not quite a year and a half, right? Yeah. So I would think that that's okay, at least with what we see in basketball players, volleyball players, that sort of thing. And that time limit is pretty good. But this is all, all this is also a different this is a different sport, right? This is a mixed martial arts is way different. This is true warriors going at it. Whereas it's not basketball players or football players pounding on their chest saying they're warriors. Um, this is actually true hand-to-hand -hand combat gladiator type activity here. And so maybe it'll be a little bit more, but in terms of him being 36 in what I saw a year ago, in terms of his speed power, even if it drops off, it's about that. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me let me get let me get specific with you. Let me get specific with you, Will. Um, I mean, okay. So you know, going into one of these kicks and rotating your hip, and there's a lot of these little muscles in your knee that are involved in executing the end part of that kick. Like, uh, is he going to lose a little bit off of the the speed at which that kick? occurs or do you think he could recover that 100 no. no the speed isn't generated by those little muscles right at the end of the extremity the speed is going to be is In built hip. up by his ability well his ability to use the ground is really what you're talking about okay um so just like baseball hitting or hitting a golf ball um in golf your speed of your limb movements is going to be highly dictated by how you're leveraging the ground or how you're using what we call your ground reaction forces. Um, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned with, you know, muscles around the knee per se, unless he's planning off of it. And usually you're using bigger type muscles. Um, and I don't know what his rehab is like. And I'm just assuming that 
he's a high-end athlete, so maybe he has some access to high-end therapists and rehabilitation specialists. I'm going to assume that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think probably. it'll be all. I, yeah, I think it'll be all. I think it'll be okay. And then I know Tony Ferguson is is an outlier, but you just look at how fast that dude came back um, from his devastating um, lower leg injury, and I'm like, dude, like that's way sooner than what Santos is coming back with. Now, I don't know what they're, what they're built like or composed like psychologically. Um, Ferguson is smaller and lighter. And so that's beneficial for him. So he doesn't have to bear that much weight. And then not only that is for, you know, if, if Santos is applying a force, he's getting a very similar equal to very similar force back at him. Right. So he's experiencing heavy forces, not only giving heavy forces, but experiencing heavy forces back when he's um, leg kicking or doing anything along those lines. Um, but from what I saw, that dude is a beast. So <laughs> even beast. if he comes back f- <laughs> five to 10% of the man that he was, he's only operating at 85 to 90%, still going to watch that dude in the cage and go, geez, those are just sticks of dynamite ready to explode. Oh, another uh, quick question for you, Will, is, I uh, know, um, when you say like, uh, you know, the, the ACL tear, now would there be a difference in recovery in regarding a, a single tear compared to a multiple tear like a MCL, meniscus, or MCL, PCL, uh, PCL, mm-hmm. and uh, the ACL? Now, would the recovery be different or would it be the same compared to just one of those being torn? Because he tore multiple, multiple ligaments. Yo, that's a good point. Yeah, if it's ACL, <clears throat> yeah, there's going to be a, a more prolonged recovery because you figure you figure about what all those ligaments support and the different ranges of motion yeah and so you just kind of contribute that well just the fact that there's multiple there's multiple tissue that has to be repaired so they're just from a surgical standpoint but then you think about it from a rehab standpoint and inflammation standpoint oh. um, there's going to be greater inflammation but you think about from a rehab standpoint what it is that you're trying to do is go through all different ranges of motion trying to strengthen the joints so it's a, if it's just a simple uh, one ligament tear, you could do things that are around that ligament, around that ligament that don't necessarily add stress to it. But now you're adding multiple ligaments, so then there are many degrees of freedom or many different ranges of motion um, that have to be cared for. So I would say it's going to be a prolonged period of the rehab is going to be a prolonged period of time. He's going to start later, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, there's videos of this guy not even able to walk after that fight. He was on crutches, he was in a wheelchair, and it was like, for months, this guy couldn't walk. And so a lot of fans are like, oh, I can't wait for him to be back. He's going to be great. It's like, whoa, did you see the videos of him not being able to walk? Like, I don't know, I have some, I mean, I don't have the the the, the knowledge background of you, but just from a, just a general standpoint, I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't, it's hard to maybe, I'll have some like, questions on not questions but i'm not going to fully be on board with him coming back and still being you know the same party was i'll have some um yeah well um, even with this i I, I just want to throw something in there even with his hands and i will kind of alluded to it in the beginning when he would come off the ropes and explode with his hands john was basically running backwards he was basically running away i mean when Tiago came forward with so much power uh, that that Jones really didn't want a part of a part of that, especially the wounded animal aspect was very very real in that fight. 
Uh, he had hit him hard with a couple leg kicks. John tried to play the first few off like they were no big deal. And then when Tiago hurt his knee, I think John didn't want to get too close because I, I don't I can't imagine a guy with those two injuries. First of all, most people are not continuing to fight. Somehow, I mean, he wasn't really fighting on one leg because he tore both knees. <laughs> you know, so he's yeah. fighting on half a leg. Basically, it was insane. It was it was absolutely insane that you could almost decision John Jones five rounds after being hurt in second or third round. What was it? I don't even remember. Yeah, but I think you know he's a pretty muscular guy, and I I've heard of like you know NFL players you know tearing their ACLs and everything and being fine because they have so much muscle around their knee and their leg, their lower bodies are so much developed muscularly that it, it kind of overcompensates maybe from that ligament. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard those things. So I think it, it could apply to Tiago Santos. I don't know. Will would probably have a better, maybe explanation on that. <laughs> yeah. It would give you a better <laughs> chance than if you were, uh, I don't know, an endurance runner, you didn't have as much muscle mass. It's going to help. It's going to help out a little bit, but I don't think that takes away from just his willpower. How he was able. Yeah. How he was able to continue. Cause you're talking about multiple tears and oftentimes what you see, if it's just a single ACL, ACL tear, um, it only it only inhibits one direction. I don't want to say one direction, but you still are able to use it in certain directions of motion. But when you have multiple tears, then it's hurting different motions of direction, oh. right? Or it's going to hurt or it's going to damage it even more. And so that's why you, you could see, you know, it happens in the NFL all the time. There's an ACL tear, but the lineman can still go because he's because he's, got he's all these limited. Other, yeah. Yeah. He's limited. He's not necessarily juking, you know, a defender or something like that uh, or okay. going left, right or planning yeah, left, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. So it makes it even more important to the, either his toughness or the amount of adrenaline that, um, you know, that's pumping through these guys' bodies when they're, when they're fighting. And you often see this, right? They're fighting and then the fight's over and they need help out of the ring, but just three minutes ago or five minutes ago, yeah, they beaten. don't need help while they're inside the ring. Yeah, um, and so you definitely have you know really high arousal levels helping them kind of physiologically deal with those sorts of pain. But man, I didn't, I didn't even know that it was multiple tears. I just thought it was uh, like kind of an ACL type of thing. By the way, by the way he reacted during the fight, Whew, um, crazy. If yeah. I could quote but Ray John Long, Jones, if I could quote Ray Longo, oh, he goes. This guy, he's a friggin' monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, John, I thought John Jones was really smart during that. Um, we will, we, you and I, we'll all agree on this. That there's John Jones, the fighter, and then John Jones, he's, the person. He's but brilliant. John Jones, yeah, John Jones in the ring is ridiculous. Right? He's, he's a virtuoso. Uh, yeah, he's like an X man. Yeah, like when he when he when he's in the ring. Um, outside of the ring, different story. But inside the ring, he's smart dude. Like he's smart about. He was smart about that. He knew, like regardless. And I'm sure, even when he was, even when um, Santos was injured, he probably either saw or felt that the power was still there. So he was, he was going to be smart about it. Yeah, he's he's one of the most intelligent guys in there, as far as yeah, inside the cage. <laughs> Nick, to to finish so. this one up, how do you think this is going to go down between he and Glover? Well, I mean, based on what Will has just stated about if, even if he loses, you know, 10 or 15%, he's still going to be, you know, the explosive fighter and the, and, and the, the powerful fighter that he is. I mean, those, those types of guys put Glover out. 
You know, like you watch the fight when Glover fought um, uh, Rumble Johnson, and Rumble Johnson just like boom, just clipped, you know, took his head off. So I see, I see that along those lines. Maybe not, not as much as of a, of a sort of blowout, but I see, yeah, Chago Santos exploding and just landing some heavy leather. And I don't see him sort of. I don't see Thiago gassing than having Glover kind of take over because when when people gas like Anthony Smith and some of these other guys that kind of gas against Glover, Glover or whatever, he could say you know he he's got great top pressure, he's got a great jujitsu game, and he's got power in his hands. He just doesn't have the speed just based on his age and everything and the wars that he's been in. So, um, but I don't think you know his, I don't think he'll be able to sort of land his hands on um on Thiago Santos the way he did against Anthony Smith and everything based on like a fatigue issue. So yeah. You guys bring up age at the very beginning of this topic. I think more important than chronological ages, and you just mentioned this, Nick, is uh their ring age. Yeah. How many battles have they have they gone through? Um and then how how um how injured are they are neurologically over yeah. the years? Yeah, that's why you see, you know, some guys retiring, you know, in their early 30s or their 30s or late 20s. And you're like, why are they retiring? It's like, oh, they've been fighting since they're 16 professionally. Yeah. And they have like over 30 or 40 fights. So, yeah, I think, yeah, just the accumulation of wear and tear over your body, the constant training and training camps and and injuries that you sustain over a prolonged period of time, you know, will contribute to quote unquote old age in MMA. Yeah. They'll age you quick. I, I think for me, I, I think Glover is going to have to really try to close the distance, get Tiago reacting to, I mean, it's going to have to be the wrestling Glover. And when Glover's not facing someone who's an elite wrestler, he's usually really good at getting a takedown. Uh, his top game in jiu-jitsu, uh, I would say that there's probably nobody in the light heavyweight division that has a jiu-jitsu top game like Glover. His passing guard, um, his pressure, his passing, he gets to mount, and then he'll just arm triangle the hell out of you like everybody that's ever trained at Nova and Yao in their life. Um, so if he can get inside, I, I think... You know, this could be a victory for Glover. And if he stands at range for any significant time, if if Tiago is like Will says, and maybe he's 85% of what he was, um, I think that's enough. I mean, he could take your leg out. His his leg kicks are absolutely vicious. I think he knocked out Blahovich, right? He, he did. He did. He did. He's, he's uh, as, as Ray Longo said, the guy's a friggin' monster. So, uh, <laughs> so, Will, you can laugh at that. I'm just kidding. You don't. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I love. <laughs> I'll never forget. Um, and just a quick digression here. I was doing Uber down in L.A., and I can't remember what famous street I was on in Los Angeles. And I was going to pick up another fare, and they were breaking down Luke Rockhold. Remember, we went and watched that at John's house. It was Luke Rockhold. Uh, versus Chris Weidman. And he says, you know, I mean, Luke, he's got a nice game, but but I'm telling you, Weidman is a freaking monster. He's a, <laughs> he's a monster. So uh, I was cracking up driving Uber, and then a couple days later, 
we all met up at John's house. Uh, remember that in Irvine to watch uh, uh, that fight. Were you there, Will, or no? No, I, I didn't. Never went to Bernsey's. Uh, okay. Uh, UFC parties. Okay. Yeah, it actually was. You know, it was a good party and all that. I didn't realize some of the uh, the other things that we've discussed. Uh, I was just invited and I went, and it was a good time. But uh, that actually, that fight actually changed the course. I would argue with you. The single most important fight in the career of Chris Weidman was not necessarily the win over Anderson Silva. It was the loss to Luke Rockhold. It changed the course of his career and made him see a mortality that I don't think he thought existed. I agree. Previously. Yeah, yeah I think that beating, that even, even uh, Rockhold's mountains, it's like, man, when that guy gets on top of you, He's he's a even the ground in general in MMA he's just a beast. He's well, just... will just to just to contextualize, will nearly top uh, tapped. Excuse me, not will. Will hasn't tapped Andre Galval. He probably could, but okay. Will um, <laughs> Chris, Chris, <laughs> Chris Weidman. Some people will tell you I Will can't even take that seriously because he couldn't pass he couldn't pass Galvao's guard to save his life. But anyway, no. um to rescue uh me from a burning fire. Anyway, um so uh Chris Peter. Weidman, this is the context. He grappled in ADCC maybe 24 months, 36 months before this fight. And he he was like the the unknown star of ADCC. He lost to Galvao. It was close, but he almost tapped him at one point. So he came into MMA with all that uh, that bravado, and then uh, he fought Demi, beat Demi and Maya. Uh, I think he had to cut twenty nine pounds in like a week to fight once, and he still won. So he he did some amazing things, you know. Then he obviously he beat Anderson Silva. But when so the the idea of Luke Rockhold out grappling the guy who had won these tournaments and done so well at ADCC was absurd. Would you say that, Nick? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it shows how good Luke Rockhold is on the ground. But then again, in it, MMA, been, in MMA, but like it's the top game, right? The, the guard. I mean, who knows how good uh, uh, Chris Rockhold is? Uh, yeah. Chris Reitman is on bottom. You know, you obviously know how good he is on top. And a lot of these guys obviously know how good they are on top. But the guard game and the, the bottom game is a completely different thing. And they might not, not be as, as well-versed or, or as well as good as they are on top. I mean, MMA is all about being on top. So I don't know. Who knows? Some of these guys might not be have a developed guard or great escapes from bottom, especially if they have a great wrestling pedigree as Chris Weidman. So I think when he found that, how solid Chris or Luke Rockhold is in his mount in the top game. He, he, he probably froze up, froze up, and he got beat down, and he was never the same after he that. He has never been the I same fighter. Friend. Yeah, I nah. mean, he was talking about fighting John Jones. Will he was trying Wait. to get the UFC to book John Jones at Madison Square Garden for the Battle of New York? I mean, think about how crazy a- to have his whole family come out from Long Island and what John Jones would have done to him. Like, it's a, it's such it. a common, yeah. I don't know. It's just such a common theme in MMA. It's like you have a, any undefeated fighter 
and they think they could do anything. Like Ronda Rousey when she was undefeated, she's like, I think I could beat Cain Velasquez. I, I think I can outbox Floyd Mayweather. You heard of all that stuff, right? And then same with Chris Ryman. When he was undefeated, he beat Anderson Silva. He's, you know, everyone thought he was, and he was the man at 185. And he's like, hey, I can go up to 205 and fight John Jones. It's like you have this like overconfidence in yourself, which is you, you should have all that. You got to have as it as a fighter. Yeah, you got to have it. Yeah. All right, so, but so it, it's a certain point where it becomes delusional. It's up to your team. team. It's up to your team to temper you, but you got to have that as the as the athlete. Yeah, but I think there's like a breaking point. There's like there's a line that you know when you cross it, you're like, all right, now you sound delusional. Yeah, I mean, and Eugene uh, Eugene S. Robinson, our friend from uh, Bloody Elbow and Ozzy.com, likes Love to this. say that that. That uh, Chris Weidman can be seen surrounded by mist, chopping wood. The Galliter General, uh, what else is he called? I can't remember. The Lost Battalion, the leader, the un- the Lost Battalion, the un- the le- he's like the leader. leader yeah. the Lost Battalion. <laughs> he's uh, he's got so many different axioms and sayings. Like you, you, oh. you literally need to like get out. You know, Google everything that the guy says. But this is yeah, actually he, he, he has at least fifty of them for him. Yeah, it's funny. Okay. Yeah, he's the king of corollaries, analogs, axiom, uh, maxims, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I love Eugene as Robinson. All right, let us. Uh, we were going to talk about Gedelia, but I think we're going to circle back. And I think since we mentioned the name Anderson the Spider Silva. I want to get you guys' thoughts. Uh, Anderson Silva goes down, and what was it? The third round, uh, TKO against um, yeah. against uh, Uriah Hall. The, the outstanding Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall. So, Will, um, what do you think about with Anderson Silva? Uh, what went right? What went wrong? And where do you think he should go from here? Well, what went right? I don't. He escaped. He escaped that fight without being permanently injured. Well, maybe contribute to little minor, minor injuries for down the line, but he escaped. That's what went right. And what went wrong was he was in that fight. <laughs> <laughs> the, th- the good thing, he fought Uriah Hall. The bad thing, he fought Uriah Hall. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the bad thing is that he was fighting. It would have been, he's probably at a point in his career where I think jujitsu competitions are really good for him right now. They, um, but who knows? Fighters have a different mentality. They always seem to have five more fights than they should have had. Maybe even ten more fights that they should have had. Um, they can never, they can never seem to just kind of put it away. And I'm hoping Khabib does that, by the way. But uh, I don't watch that fight. It was boring as hell. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, one thing that's that's interesting about both characters we just mentioned. And these are just things that I've heard. So take this with a grain of salt. I have heard that Anderson Silva's lifestyle uh, was fairly extravagant uh, when he was champion. And he had a villa down there in Brazil. He has a place in, uh, I don't know, it's this Pacific Palisades. Uh, but, you know, not too far from where Hicks and Gracie lives. Um so he had a very extravagant lifestyle. He had some young children. Uh, you know, his children are, you know, I, when I say young, he has some kids that are of the age where you're buying cars and very nice things. It's not like you're buying huffy bikes and, you know, and Halloween candy. Um, and Chris Weidman was afflicted with the same thing. There's a pretty good 
rumor out there that his wife had some pretty, um, pretty, you know, healthy spending habits. And so that means guys have to keep fighting. And I think Silva, to me, he could say he's a martial artist all he wants. And I'm not saying that he necessarily wants to retire, but I believe in my heart that part of the reason he's still fighting is to pay for, uh, pay the bills for all the things that he's accumulated over the years. I mean, that's probably, that's probably true and everything, but going back to the fight and I, I agree with it. I think maybe, you know, if he does have this extravagant lifestyle that yeah, taking fights just to, to, to stay afloat from his lifestyle habits, Mm -hmm. you know, is definitely a good reason to continue to fight regardless if he's still in his prime or not. But I mean, I don't know, Will. I thought Silva did pretty good in the fight before getting caught. I mean, I thought he won the first two rounds. I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, I was more disappointed in uh, Uriah Hall's sort of performance. I mean, Hall always had the physical, I think, attributes to be a a great fighter. And he is a good fighter, but to be a contender, he always had, the, I I think, the, the physical tools to do that. But he was always kind of trigger shy or not as aggressive he should have been and that was always uh that was always a critique of him that he was always kind of looking for maybe that perfect moment to explode or the perfect opportunity to throw his spinning you know back kick that lands on people and everything like that but i mean he was still i think kind of hesitant and sort of engaging with silver and wasn't really as aggressive as i as i hoped him to be in this fight and so i think silva took you know those first two rounds and was pretty aggressive in there and it did have a lot of success but you know that third round he had his hands down and he started flailing, flailing coming forward and you know he got caught with a good counter and then got put out but wow. i i i have something i'd like to say about this fight as well that okay um, go ahead okay if you took this okay if you took the actualization of Anderson Silva's skills the other night and put it in the body of the Anderson Silva that fought Chris Weidman the first time, we might have a decision victory, if not a TKO. The problem, I mean, he put nice combinations together, he had nice volume, and he had nice kicks. And I'm going to tell you guys, uh, and Will, I want to say this you know, for all the audience to hear. The guy is amazing. I mean, obviously, I think they said he had like a 12-fight winning streak. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Nick can check that in uh, in the UFC. But what really irritated me, particularly at the time, you know, you could you could trace it back to the Damian Maya fight that they had that first Abu Dhabi card. Or you can go to that Chris Weidman card. Anderson Silva lost... By trying to avoid punches by leaning back. Anderson Silva, this great fighter, this guy who I admire, this legit martial artist, became it became for him more about making you look like a fool than him to actually put strikes together and take people out. Because when you have that kind of ability to move your head and to avoid strikes, the chin that he had, his ability to put together nice straight punches and kicks. Although his kicks, you know, when we talk about how he broke his leg, you know, Boss Rutten pointed out what was wrong with that kick and why he broke his his tibia or his fibula there. But the 
I will think about, unfortunately, and maybe you can call me, I don't think I'm a glass half empty person. I believe I'm a glass half full person. But I will think about what Anderson Silva could have done, how he might have been able to take out Chris Weidman if he brought all his skills to bear and he actually put combinations together. What if he used a calf kick? You know, Chris wasn't going to be able to use that that uh, technique he did with the knee where he snapped his shin, except that uh, Anderson really didn't rotate his hip over. And so therefore, when he struck Weidman, he didn't strike him with the part of the shin that is the most durable. He struck him, he came up at an angle, almost like a you know, a 45 degree angle and struck him with the weakest part of the shin, according to Boss Rutten. So I love the guy. I respect the guy, but I will think about what he might have done. Just to throw a, a monkey wrench in things, we all know what kind of game Uriah Hall has. What if Anderson Silva would have come in and shot a takedown the other night? I had heard when he was at Black House that he had really good wrestling for a guy who grew up a, a Taekwondo guy and a Brazilian guy. Uh, jiu-jitsu guy uh, that he had a, a good uh, wrestling game what if he would have shot a takedown no way Uriah Hall would have been inspecting that in in the set in the late second or third round or early third round go ahead Will so you mentioned his style and I guess what you're referring to is him being more more of a disciplined fighter and being a little bit more committed to his skill and technique and less of the showman. Mm-hmm. I grapple with that a little bit um, because watching, watching his fights in his prime, I always rooted against him because that was never, that's not my style personally that I like the, the, the showmanship and all that. It's always rooted against him. But at the same time, as you see athletes at a really high level, there's always something that makes them, it's their secret sauce that makes them who they are. And so I just wonder if the awkwardness of how he's doing things, it's very, very non-traditional in, in nature, is that's his secret sauce. That, that's what makes Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva. And so I'm wondering if you take that away, do you not have, not have that fighter anymore? That's fair. That's very fair what you've said. But I just say this. In MMA, it's about scoring. You have to score to win. And to score, you have to land strikes. And what we saw the other night, if we could have taken that Anderson Silva and put him in the body of the past Anderson Silva with that mindset to land strikes, that I think we have something that was even more difficult. I think he still only represents, it's like BJ Penn. We look at BJ Penn and saw what BJ Penn was, but there's always going to be what he might have been. And I kind of think about that with Silver. Whereas with Jones, Jones has exhausted every bit of his talent to embarrass nearly everybody he's fought. It's a good point. I mean, it's it's hard. It's like it's like it boils down to your identity, I guess. Like what uh, Schwan Hume said in you know the past uh, past couple episodes. Schwan Hume's Black Jordan Green. What's up, buddy? What's up, Schwan? That's always going to resonate. That's always going to resonate with me. Like, you know, what makes what what is your identity as a fighter? And yeah, that secret sauce might have been Anderson Silva, but then again, too much of that secret sauce, I think, 
in what you're trying to say, DJ, is could be detrimental to you in regards to, you know, the Chris Wyman fights where, you know, he maybe he was relying too much on, you know, his his, his showmanship and his... There's no of, maybe um, about it. That's how he got knocked screen. out. There, there's yeah, no maybe. Too much, too much of that secret yeah, sauce. That's not was, a maybe. That's not in question. That part of it is not in question because yeah, he got yeah, knocked out but, doing that. But in other fights, when he didn't use that sort of secret sauce, maybe he wouldn't be as successful. So I think it's trying to mean trying to sort of dial it down and crank it up when it's necessary in order for you to be successful. But to lose it completely, you know, he might not be as successful as when he does use it. So it's kind of hard to gauge whether it was fully needed or not. But I, I kind of understand where you're coming from, DJ. But I don't know. I think a lot of the reasons why people love him and why he's remembered as such a great fighter and what separates him from a lot of the other greats is the way he wins these fights and the way, you know, he he entertains everyone in in how he wins. You know, no one no one right now in the future or even in the past has these sort of qualities that he had that he had in its prime you know Israel Adesanya you know as, as great as he is I don't think we'll ever have these sort of um that secret sauce or sort of these crazy sort of uh ways that he likes to win and clowning people he kind of just just decimates them he clowns people too yeah. He does Not it. The way he does. Silva does. Oh, he does. He yeah, sticks. He's, he's got. He does no. also. He, he sticks does his. He. St I could show you fights where he sticks oh his face. Gosh. He does this. The has, point has he has he beaten has he beaten uh, a fighter like Forrest Griffin the way Anderson Silva has or Stefan Bonner. I don't. Robert think so. Whitaker. <laughs> nah, not like that. Not like that. He just countered him and clocked him. Uh, let me just say this. What I'm getting at is they have basically a, the same skill set or very similar skill sets, similar styles, but you you have to land strikes. You know, you if you – Israel wouldn't do something as stupid as what Anderson did to get knocked out by a guy who wasn't one-third – the striker, not one fourth the striker that he was, uh, by just thinking about, oh, I'm leaning back, I'm leaning back, I'm leaning back, I'm leaning back. Oh my God, this guy's a longer reach than I do. And boom, you're not. I mean, it was so silly the way that it happened. It just, it was so silly to lose like that. It's one thing. So here's what I'm saying to you. If Chris Weidman would have took him down, and by the way, I picked Weidman to win the fight. And I, just from... What I told you, his bona fides in grappling and wrestling that he had built up, he was a phenomenon in our sport. Will probably isn't going to remember that at that time. He was a young phenom in our sport, and I thought he would take Silva down and wear him out. If he would have done that, I am totally cool with that. But to lose acting like an idiot to me is like you've never seen St. Pierre lose like You've never seen anybody lose like that just being a clown. And that, that clowning continued, and then, you know, in the second fight, you saw, you know, you saw what happened, you know. He basically threw a non-technical kick and snapped his leg. We've only had two people do that in the UFC. Do you know who those were? What was that guy's name? Corey Hill in the fourth Corey, card. Was, was it from a kick, though? I think he Yes. Just... Corey Hill snapped his leg from a kick. And Anderson okay. Silva. Now, Corey Hill was never a kick, you know, he wasn't a kickboxer. He wasn't, 
you know, a guy who is an expert the way this, and it's so bizarre that Anderson owned Anderson Silva's Muay Thai Academy in LA with the bumblebee symbol. And yet he threw a non-technical kick and, and Ray Longo, they totally planned for it. They totally planned for him to throw that kick and that they were going to, Chris was going to stick his knee out and he was going to, he was going to check that kick with his knee and, and, uh, and hurt his leg and get him to stop kicking. They, they, they actually game planned that. So, and after that fight, Ernest yeah. Silva was never the same, unfortunately. He's never the same. No. Just like and, Chris was never the same after Luke. Yeah. But I don't know. He was losing that fight even before that kick sort of landed. I mean, the, the, I remember them clinching, and then mm-hmm. Chris Ryan was just throwing these dirty boxing sort of punches, and it, they were landing. So Anderson yeah. Silva, I mean, it, it seemed he was not faring well in that fight, the second fight. Either. You're right. So That's a good point. Yeah, uh, Chris... It would be it would have been interesting to have a third fight, but I think uh, him breaking his leg the way he did, I don't. I, I mean, even against, um, even against, uh, help me out with his name. The other Uriah Hall, I didn't see him throw that kick anymore, the way that he used to throw it, with the speed and the power and the aggressiveness. Woo! That kick had heat on it, but. It was coming up, if you can see my arm at an angle here, and it was never coming across and chopping, or you guys have heard Joe Rogan say ad nauseum, that guys will actually over-rotate over 90 degrees from the floor and then chop down. Anderson's was coming up like this and hit Chris Weidman's knee right on the shin, and that's that's how he broke it. I mean, it was not a properly thrown leg kick. According again, not according to DJ, who knows f all about striking, but from Boss Rutten. That's from Boss Rutten. But do you think fascinating, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know. Do you think these string of losses will sort of um, ruin his sort of legacy that he has, just like any other no. fighter? I don't think or do so. Do you think it? Not not in anybody who's objective. The guy is still absolutely amazing. He's still decimated. You know, we're forgetting about he fought Olympian Dan Henderson. Uh, and he was able to, I think he, he I don't know if he took down. He did, yeah. He knocked him down, then went on the ground with him and took yeah, his back. He took his back, yeah. So a lot of it, I mean, I don't know what kind of wrestling. I don't know how he trained. I don't know that he took Chris Weidman as seriously as he took Anderson Silva or if it was a function of that he was 37 years old. So. Very fascinating guy. Never will be. So forgotten. are you, are you saying DJ, what could have been for Anderson Silva? That's what, that's what I'm going to think of. Just like, it's so interesting that BJ Penn decided to, he reminds me of BJ Penn and BJ Penn went to Jackson's literally about 10 years later than he <laughs> should have. If he would have gone to Jackson's very early when he was training with uh, Rudy I can't remember his last name in Hawaii. Um, I, I can't recall. He has like a Latino last name, but this guy named Rudy that was like a striking I think I know coach. You, talking about. you know who yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If he would have gone to Jackson's back at the apex of Jackson's, maybe around the time that he beat uh, Diego Sanchez or something like that, and they would have developed his kicking game. 
developed his wrestling game and steered him away from becoming strictly a boxer. Basically, what happened to Jose Aldo, that's exactly what BJ Penn became, but not as good as Jose Aldo was at, at that game. BJ could have, if he would have developed the other aspects of his game, there's no telling who he could have beaten. But the game, by the time he started fighting really good guys, uh, you know, after, you know, the Diego Sanchez, once the competition got better, he had nothing else to fall back on. He didn't have a leg kick game. He didn't have any kicking game at all. He had even no takedown game. So he couldn't even get on top to use his jiu-jitsu. Now he was getting taken down, having to fight off his back. And his guard was okay, but not, you know, obviously... You know, I mean, after St. Pierre beat him, he should have gone to Jackson's. That That's basically what I, what I think. He had a lot of conditioning issues, too. You know, the whole motivated BJ yes. Penn. And, <laughs> yeah, know, going whoa. to McDonald's and stuff, eating at McDonald's yeah. the, uh, I mean, in he fight would take camp. A day off, he would take a day off from training. He'd be like, I train Monday and Tuesday. I just kind of, you know, let my body rest and stuff. and Running you know, with the rock know. and shit. <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, he didn't have that, like, grinder like he wasn't like a clay guida or like yeah like uriah faber or even like a frankie that's why frankie edgar frankie was able edgar. to beat him because frankie edgar was a harder um, worker he's a, he's a monster condition yeah. and when you're when you know when your tricks don't work against a guy like frankie edgar and frankie edgar just overwhelms you with his volume and his striking and his well first his wrestling i'm so glad you mentioned frankie edgar <clears throat> and this is what i want to say about frankie edgar frankie edgar now is a shell of the fighter we he became. I'm going to take you guys back to him. First UFC fight. He fights a great grappler named Tyson Griffin, one of uh, Randy Couture's fighters. This guy had to survive about 15 seconds in a deep knee bar. I remember that, yeah. After beating the hell out of out of uh, beating uh, Tyson Griffin to the punch with very little striking ability and just said he was a tough wrestler. And uh, and he beat Tyson Griffin in that fight, and then he went on to beat. Um, I think he lost to. Uh, he lost the the really interesting fight was the first fight against. Um, uh, help me out with his name, Couture's wrestler guy. Yeah, that Gray he had Maynard. three fights. Gray Maynard. The rest of the fights were garbage to me. The first one was interesting when Gray Maynard was actually a wrestler. But Frankie Edgar developed an all around game. He was going to come at you with calf kicks and leg kicks and high kicks and a really beautiful movement in a boxing game. He moved like a boxer. I remember being down in Brazil training at Kimura and asking the guys about Frankie Edgar. And everybody was just enamored with how well Frankie Edgar could move in and out. Now, as he get older, that didn't work so well. But between all those, his wrestling game, his scrambling game, his jiu-jitsu game, there was no he had no weakness. Now you're gonna bring in BJ Penn, who's intent to I'm gonna come in there and land a combination and knock you out. Well, dude, that didn't work. And he got beaten in Abu Dhabi, and then he got beaten the other times he got beat worse. So it was very, very sad to see a guy who had more ability than B, than Frankie Edgar, but less motivation to exercise the entirety of the MMA skill set and just focus on one thing, boxing. Let me know how that works out for you guys.
That's the tragedy of mixed martial arts fighters is when they, when they think that they're boxers or they concentrate too much on it. But when, when you're, what you're saying is not surprising DJ and Nick about BJ Penn's propensity to not be, not act and behave like an elite athlete. And there could be a couple reasons for that. One reason is you guys you kind of see it everywhere, like regardless of sport. And the other reason why is you probably look at how long has mixed martial arts been around as a professional, this is my only job sport. And the whole realm of things, very it's very yeah, it's a very yeah. young sport, professionally very young sport. Fifteen years, so, really. Yeah, and you think about what you need to do to evolve the sport from a technical standpoint, from a strategic standpoint, and then from a I'm going to be a professional about this, right? Think about how Tom Brady for whatever you may agree or disagree with how Tom Brady does his nutrition and et cetera and all that stuff, but look at how disciplined he is with it, right? And a firm believer in that this is what I need to physically play until I can't remember what the number he said he wanted to play to, but it was a really old age. Insane. Yeah. And he's still playing well now. I mean, he's kind of proving that maybe it was more him than Belichick. <laughs> Uh, in the NFL. And so you think about it from a uh, mixed martial arts standpoint, it's super young and you have a culture um, that is more just about brawling than it is about being, I mean, it's obviously evolving, right? To something different now, because you do have people taking their nutrition seriously. Although Cannoneer would said re, uh, relatively recently, he's lost a ton of weight and they were asking about his weight loss and they're like, Oh yeah, I just ate like, I love to eat. And I was eating, you know, fried foods and mm-hmm. dessert and pies and stuff like yeah. that. And so and, and he was are, still a he yeah. was still a professional fighter. Yeah. And I think, I think fans just assume yeah. that, you know, since you're in the UFC or that yet you're uh, you know, a, a professional mixed martial artist that, you know, they already have all their their nutrition is in check and you know, they're at their their their, you know, all their X's and O's are being crossed or, you know, they're dying all their eyes crossing other T's, so to speak, then sometimes that's not, that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. Right now it's just, it's evolution of, of the athletes in the sport. It's if you don't do it like a professional and if you don't have good, a good team around you, that's doing not bro science. Well, right now it's bro science. Bro science is probably better than no science at all. But right now I think it's predominantly bro science level. And then bro science level is going to get selected for it. You're going to get real science in there. And then the bro science students are going to be out, right? Right now it's bro science against eating McDonald's. Bro science is going to win out over McDonald's easing. Right yeah. now it's bro science. And then you're going to get some real science that's in there. And bro science is going to be out, right? So it's it just it's just where it is that it's youth, um, MMA's youth in or how young it is relative to you know, all the other more established sports that have been doing it for a much longer period of time. And they have the resources. Right. I mean, Tom, you know, LeBron James spends a million dollars a year on his body. Tom Brady. I mean, basically Tom Brady is the LeBron James of football. LeBron James is the Tom Brady of basketball. I mean, these guys are spending lots of money and, and have tons of discipline to watch what they eat, to train, you know, LeBron, uh, uh, Jared Dudley said he sleeps in the hyperbaric chamber a few days a week uh, to recover, you know, his muscles and all that stuff. 
I mean, when you're going to willing to do that, they sure have certain resources that unless you're at the UFC PI, uh, and you, I mean, that's why a lot of fighters are moving to Vegas is so they could take advantage of that. In fact, Santos, I think, did some of his initial uh, therapy at the UFC PI. Um, most people just aren't going to be able to afford that. Uh, they're going to combine bro science with what somebody told them. The bottom line is, like for me, is you have to develop a complete game. If you do not, you will be the author of your own demise because you will show up. If Like if you're Peter Yan, you know, Peter Yan is like a Russian boxer. If he goes in there with Aljamain Sterling, it gets taken down easily in the first round and submitted. That's going to be extremely embarrassing for him, just like it was for Corey Sanhagen. You know, Corey Sanhagen thought this was going to be a great battle. He got taken taken down, and I believe he had his back taken. Is that right, Nick? Yeah, he got his back taken. And he got choked but, out, right? But Corey Sanhagen... He's a great grappler in his own right. I mean, he's got a black belt in jiu-jitsu. But how about his wrestling? I mean, the, what I'm saying is... I think uh, he's trained his wrestling, too. It's just... Better, man. Better. I mean, you saw how good Sanhagen was against Marlon Marais and yeah. everything. You know what yeah. that guy can do? Yeah. I mean, he's... That well, guy's Marlon, Mar- man. Marlon Marais has no takedown game, though. So he didn't have to worry about that. He could stand tall. What I'm saying is, like, if, you're P- if Peter Yan is... He's going to get that shot against... He 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 considers himself a boxer. I'll tell you what, man. Aljamain Sterling will make you look bad. <laughs> Peter Young could grapple. He could grapple. Okay. He, he he doesn't just because he has the background in striking does not mean he doesn't know how to. Gra- I mean, his fight against uh, Yari Faber, he had some good scrambles and he got out of some good scrambles. So I don't think he's going to be as deficient as you think he is on the ground. Is he obviously going to be as good of a wrestler or jujitsu practitioner as Aljamain Sterling? No, I think Aljamain Sterling's probably one of the best uh, jujitsu guys in that division and everything. I mean, this guy trains. This guy yes. trains with freaking Nikki Ryan and John Danahar and all those guys, and he trains with you know all of Sarah's guys, and he's a black belt as well. So, well, I mean, who's who's that new cat at one thirty five that was like a, a Royval? Is it Brandon Royval? Yeah, he's great. No, he's, he's 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 flyweight. He's flyweight. He's oh, is flyweight. he flyweight? I was yeah. like, oh my he, goodness, that dude's Woo! nasty. Yeah, that dude's nasty too. I mean, you're not going to be the best at all disciplines, but I no, agree. but you, you have, have to. to you, you have to, to be man. well. You have to be well versed in everything. You're not going to have Khabib style wrestling or GSP style wrestling no. with with Anderson Silva or Adesanya style striking and and you know elite level, you know world class level Andre Gaval, you know uh, style BJJ. Like you're not going to have all these sort of high level. Uh, you know, marks in all these areas, but you do have to be well-versed in all of them and, and adequate in all of them. And then excel in maybe a certain thing or two. Will, Will will love to hear the anecdote that Josh Thompson shared the other day. I told you he spills tea, right? And yeah, you guys oh, yeah. know in the reality TV world, when you talk out of school or when you tell about behind the scenes stuff, they call that spilling tea. And Josh Thompson. Oh, I had no idea. Josh, no, yeah, no. DJ's the the reality TV junkie. Yes, so. right. hey oh, Casey, he's man. schooling us on the on the on all the, the hip uh, the hip terms that they use. Kate Casey, <laughs> we love you. We want you on the show. Uh, shout out reality life with Kate Casey. Um, but uh, Josh Thompson spilled tea, and he basically talked about that Josh Koscheck is like, I'll skip wrestling today, man. You know what? This guy, GSP, I don't even really need to train wrestling for this guy because he is not going to take me down. He was taken down 
inside of one minute in the fight. <laughs> I mean, he thought there's no way this guy's going to take me down. And literally, Josh Shotton said he, there were days he would just skip rack, wrestling practice because of that. So, See, that's the worst mentality. When you see that, if it's a team sport and you see someone like that, you're saying as a coach, you're out of here, you're cut. Well, I mean, I would I would want one of my t- my coaches to know everything there is to know about St. Pierre and to caution me, dude, if you think that this dude is not training wrestling, you know, if you think, I mean, first of all, I think he took down Hughes in their first fight. Um, you he better you, you yeah. better you know, you better plan. So that that's all I'm saying. Cautionary tale, watch Jose Aldo against Max Holloway, watch BJ Penn get murked by about 17 different guys. Don't become just a hand striker. No matter how good you are, I promise you, you will run up against somebody in the UFC, and that's not the way that you want to lose. You want to lose having prepared and just not been good enough. Which I think was what happened with Sanhagen. You throw a lot of hate at Sanhagen. No, I with, love the guy. He was phenomenal. With, with, the, with, the, with the Sterling loss. You're like, oh, he's not that great. Look at how he lost against Sterling. I was like, no, Sterling's well, great. Will, did, he, did I say that? Come on, All right. man. All right, we're going to leave this, and we're going to go on to Leon Edwards against Kamzad Shemaev. So, uh, Will, uh, so this fight has been booked. The UFC doing some dirty deeds done dirt cheap. They took Leon Edwards out of the rankings when he refused to fight Shemaev because said, I ain't fighting no unranked guy. And they said, okay, now you're unranked. Okay, I'll fight him. <laughs> so, that's kind of like what happened. And I, it makes me sick that they did that because Leon Edwards is awesome and he deserved uh, a top three or four opponent and that's not what he got and unfortunately i think this is going to turn out very not well for leon edwards what say you mr Wu? Uh, let's go to nick first well, well he's, fighting, off he's, fighting RDA. he's yeah. fighting rda so yeah, he's fighting uh yeah oh leon it's edwards is comes up versus rda rda oh okay is, yeah. i'm sorry who's yeah. who was i thinking leon edwards well they took him off the rankings that's true Oh, they, so like, they they made him unranked apparently because he didn't want to take any fights or whatever. Okay, all right. Everyone was booked up, which is still bad, still shitty for the UFC. And I think they probably offered him the uh, Kamzat fight, but then he's probably like, "Yeah, fuck you guys, I'm not taking their shit." <laughs> how how tough is RDA, man? Dude, RDA ridiculous. He's like I said. I I think I've said this in the past. It's Dana White's uh, measuring stick. I don't know if he's his measuring stick still. He's had quite – how many losses has he had consecutively recently? Like three? I'll go check. Three or something? I'll something go like check. Uh, you guys talk talk amongst yourselves. I'll go check. I mean, he beat yeah, Kevin so- Lee. That was pretty recent. So, And then I don't know if he fought after the Kevin Lee fight. So he did win against Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee coming up to 170 yeah. and then thought, you know, Kevin Lee might have been a, a big deal at 170, which I thought would happen. And then – you know, RDA just shut did, him down. Did that match up surprise you, Nick? When I sent you that, when I sent the group that text, I was like, "Did that match oh, yeah, up surprise yeah. you?" <laughs> yeah. I was just like, "Oh no!" But he has lost like... for the last five. Okay, for, for the, last, the five. last five. Yeah, but they're against yes. like 
top five. Like what, what was it? Kobe is against uh, Usman. Kies- he lost. Uh, he oh, lost Kiesa. to Kiesa Edwards. The last, that's he the last beat. Fight, yeah. He beat Lee. Then he lost to the top two, Usman and Covington. And then he beat Lawler, Magny, and Tarek Safadine. You remember that? I mean, so, that's solid, man. That's still pretty solid. Yeah. Dude. It's very solid, yeah. yeah. If you look at his record, those are a bunch of tough dudes at yeah. his current division and his previous division. Okay. Um, Guys, hold on a second. We're all confused. We wrote Kamzat. Kamzat's fighting Leon. Dos Anjos is fighting Islam. So we, we've got to get our Russian oh, Dagestani fighters. Oh, I got it. 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 Yes. I got it, I got it. Okay. 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 Which wow. is okay because they're analogous, right? Yeah, they're both. They're really analogous. Good. Yeah, they put RDA against another monster. So, Will, you trained with this guy. Uh, talk to me. Who would I train with? Dos Anjos. <laughs> I train with him. You've I'm never in the rolled academy with him? when he. I'm in the academy when he's training. But you I rolled with trained. him though. I no 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 no. no. Okay. Low, lowly white belts and blue belts don't get to roll with him. Okay. Or maybe maybe that maybe that maybe the favored ones, but I'm not remember I'm not favored. I'm a white blue belt just yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I when I looked at that, I was like, whoa, that's interesting. And then I started doing a little bit of research on it, and it's like, okay, it kind of makes sense. It's RDA's last fight in his contract. Oh, I didn't know and, that. And um, yeah, it's his last fight in the in his current contract. And then you also kind of look at what he said about a new one. And he wants to continue to fight in the UFC. Um, and it kind of brings back, I don't know, I've always wondered if he's been super responsible about his money. Um, TJ Dillashaw has. is also, yeah, TJ Dillashaw is also in the academy and just through, you know, conversations uh, through people that know him really well and what they talk about in the academy, TJ seems really well invested in a variety of different areas. Um, so from a business perspective, he seems to be creating himself independent of having to fight for the rest of his life. I'm not so sure about RDA. I never really hear that as much. Maybe you, DJ. But he I don't think he's a big UF. spender. I don't think he's a big spender. Okay. Um, yeah, and I remember he was supposed to fight in that McGregor fight, and then he broke his foot. And then um, I think smartly, I, I believe, like just prior to that fight, he had like a really nice car. And then it, the fight didn't go through, and then he downgraded smartly. So that was really good. So that's like kind of a good sign of, of how he treats his finances. So I know that he doesn't want to fight based on his interviews. He wants another UFC contract. Um, so maybe this is uh, a combination of showing out well for another contract. Uh, also a combination of Dana White saying, Arde, you've been my guy in the past, so I know who, who's legit and who's not legit. Um, and all those things playing, and then you get you get the fight. Yeah, um, I, I really don't. I don't love it. Obviously, RDA, you know, you think of what the mentality is for RDA when you have all of AKA saying this is the next guy. Like the best battles that Khabib has at um, at American Kickboxing Academy is Islam Makachev. They basically said they'll go tit for tat. They'll go takedown for takedown. They said Islam is a monster, and basically they were waiting to unleash him in full force when Khabib was done, and now he's going to kind of take over their academy, maybe be team captain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, I, I don't love this fight for um, for RDA, 
But to the extent that it stays on the feet, I think he'll be somewhat competitive. The only thing is that uh, Islam Makachev is a little bit of a pressure guy. You say no? No, I say it's not gonna, it's not going to be on the feet. Yeah, and I think one of the things one of the things that I don't like about the fight for RDA is we all know who his head coach is. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, and that's I that's not a reflection of there's nothing Felipe can do that's going to make him overcome something like this. You know what I mean? No, Felipe is not. Felipe's not his head coach. Felipe is his jujitsu coach. Oh, I see. Yeah, I forgot. Jason uh, Perillo. Yeah, yeah Jason so, Perillo. So I think RDA, R, yeah, which is, I think he's a, my opinion, I don't, I don't think he's right for RDA. Only I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, um, I'm with but you. props to Philippe. If you look at his jujitsu in the past, he's used his jujitsu quite well yes. to survive fights. Yes. Right. Yes. And then he's also used his jujitsu to submit and win. So um, that's a fact, Jack. Right. And that comes from RDA. That's a, that comes from RDA and what um, our our head professor does with him. So that's not when I say, when I mention coaching, it's not a fleet thing. It's a Jason Perillo thing. Yeah. I feel and this you. is, and this is just my observation over time. I think there's always, there's always like tragic things in athletes careers. And I think, I don't know exactly what happened and I have, you know, I get rumor meal from whatever about what happened with Rafael Cordero and why the separation there. Oh, but yeah, I thought yeah, after yeah. he after after he left uh, Rafael Cordero, it was kind of if you look at it, the series of fights after that, it was kind of things didn't get things. It was the peak was he was he was he was decreasing yeah. um, in his his fight ability. And then um, I observe his recent fights with Perillo now, and it just, you know, I'm an, like, I'm an amateur at, at looking at this, but I know good coaching when I see it. <laughs> it's not good coaching. And then this extends to beyond, beyond, um, beyond RDA too. Like you could talk about what he does with Cyborg also. And it's just like, mm-hmm. what the I don't WTF. Think it's, uh, yeah, I agree. The leg kick game goes away. He's a good, he's kind of like a boxing based coach. And I'm a, we're all amateurs at, at analyzing this, but I I my I would have the same uh, analysis that you would have about uh, Perillo, and I thought that uh, RDA's leg kick game and his pressure game that brought him to title uh, to be a title holder was better uh, under Rafael Cordero, and I don't know if it, if it that was related to Rousey because when. Cordero said that Rousey could come train and Cyborg beat feet out of there. I don't know if Cordero was mixed up in all that. Um, I could find out, but uh, I don't yeah. really remember what it was. Yeah, I've heard things that are totally different, but I don't know how accurate they are, but I won't say them because I don't know how accurate they are. Right. But, um, I mean, RDA has RDA has a Muay Thai or Muay Thai or, or, or a striking coach other than Perillo, um, where they do a variety. Like, I've seen it right? There's a kick game there, but it all comes down to the head coach. What is the head coach doing? And I'd imagine, I don't know specifically who the head coach in, in there is, but I'm assuming that within the cage, who was ever talking to the fighter Perillo. primarily is the head, yeah, it's yeah. The head coach. So I'm just like, I don't think that's a good, it's the, the boxing coach, in my opinion, should be the, the assistant coach. It shouldn't be the head coach. You got to have it. MMA coach as your head coach. Well, look at uh, what's his face, uh, Travis Whitman. He's more of a boxing center coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's more of a boxing center coach, but he's a head coach, and you know he's had some great success as well. 
like yeah okay we can always know. pull out one but if we look at if we're, <laughs> if, we're if we're if we're working at on a data set um that one is not going to carry the data set and so um, it just gets to what you guys were talking about earlier about being a well-rounded fighter you already have fighters with a propensity to fall in love with boxing and then you put them with a boxing coach and we can need we can also bring up ronda rousey right with it um, and you have a boxing coach or head coach are going to go in that direction and they are going to ignore everything. Another uh, Jose Aldo, another example, what happened with, to his devastating leg kicks? Well, he's a boxer now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, well, I mean, he's not a boxer professionally, but he thought he was, uh, that's yeah, that's the, uh, that's the quote unquote art. I mean, is boxing a martial well, art? Well, just yes. But by the way, <laughs> by, it's the best hand striking sport in the world. But by the way, Anderson Silva would get crushed against any really, really seasoned boxer. Like if you stuck him in there with an older, even a Bernard Hopkins at 50 years old would have destroyed him. Uh, I think Roy Jones would do the same. He can't get out of the way of punches. Same thing with Jose Aldo. He can go and train with the Garcias and they can butter him up and go, oh, you're really good. You're really good, brother. You know, and all that stuff. Uh, I got news for you. Look what Max Holloway is not a professional boxer. And he tuned Aldo up. So there go. And you haven't heard him talk about professional boxing after that, right? It was before that fight. The oh, fact yeah. that he's talking about becoming, a, about leaving the UFC to become a professional boxer tells you where his headspace is, what he thinks, what his distorted view of his skills were. And then what happened in the Holloway fight. Wait, I can't even beat this guy, and I don't even think he has one professional boxing fight. Are you kidding me? It's stupid. I mean, that's just... And, that, and now he hasn't mentioned like, it once, because he knows it now. I mean, that's just like Luke Rockhold going into, you know, competition jiu-jitsu and going against Nicky, Nicky Rod, or what's his, uh, Nick Rodriguez, well, right? Well, it's, it's yeah, different. It's different, losing. because he's doing it for fun. That's not. He didn't do it to make oh, money. I know, but it's the yeah. same. But it's the it's, same thing. You you have you have a guy from MMA going into a very specific subset of MMA and trying to compete against guys who all they do is that one thing. Yeah. And against all those guys okay. with all that experience, it's the same thing in boxing. Like it, you have a MMA it, guy that wants that has good hands that wants to go toe to toe against boxers who've trained boxing uh, since they were like eight years old. What do you think is going to happen? If and you, you want to go against the best at it? If good you luck. listen to people talk about McGregor, who has some of the <sighs> best hands in the entirety of MMA, they said Manny at this age would absolutely eat him alive uh, with body shots and everything. and everything. I've heard that. and You've heard that. So what I'm saying, well, though, is one yeah. thing. If Luke wants to go and go into a grappling competition, that's awesome. He's not doing that as a career alternative to MMA. He's doing it for fun no, to challenge true. himself. When yeah. Jose Aldo yeah. says, I'm going to leave the UFC and go box, it's like, are you kidding, dude? You think these guys fucking around with you in Riverside telling you you're really good? You are not a boxer, man. And Max Holloway proved it. You haven't heard him mention it once since those two fights, since getting finished by an MMA guy in boxing. <laughs> I, I feel so bad because the guy is so skilled. He is so skilled. Guys, go on go on your YouTube and go watch Jose Aldo versus Uriah Faber. Jose Aldo versus Mark Hominick. Jose Aldo Jose versus, Aldo versus 
Cub Swanson versus. Well, no, that you're not going to you're not going to learn anything against Cub Swanson. Mike Brown, Ma- Mike Brown, where he, where Mike he, Brown, yeah, where he took down oh, Mike he Brown, destroyed who was a Mike Brown, college wrestler. So yeah. Jose Aldo was a phenomenal when he was a mixed martial artist. He was absolutely incredible. That guy beats Max Holloway. If Max Holloway fought that Jose Aldo, uh, he's on the losing end of a decision. I'm not saying Jose Aldo is going to knock him out or anything silly because Max Holloway is one of the toughest guys in the entire sport. But uh, he's not walking out of there with his hand raised, I think. Another tragic story for DJ. I know. So much tragedy. All right, guys. We got to get out of here. Uh, Claudia Gadelia uh, on the uh, on the uh, main card also. Fight. And we got Will just to be able to say this young lady's name, this Chinese fighter who's 12-1. and one. So can you say that name that you see on your screen there, Will? No, I think my Mexican side is taking over because I can't pronounce <laughs> Will, I've heard you speak Zhao Chinese. Zhao Nan. Zhao Nan would be my my. Zhao Nan. Zhao Nan. Yeah. Can we have a Chinese fighter on that you could interview in, in Chinese? Can Jeez. we get that done? So Maybe a Chinese Mexican fighter that I can interview in I, minimal Chinese, minimal Spanish. I really, I really there loved it. Uh, one of your friends at the uh, one of your friends at the academy, who was uh, I think he was a doctor, also a medical doctor, and you asked him to speak Chinese with Carissa, and he called Carissa over there and he he said a few words to her, and it was really it was really adorable. I don't know if you remember that or not. Do you remember that? No, I, no, I don't. I don't yeah. remember that. You called Chris over there, and he just he just wanted to test out her Chinese a little bit. So it was, it was I think really it's weird. a fake story. I don't think it's a real story because you said one of my friends. I was like, I have friends there? Yes, yes. No, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> As you guys were watching kids' class. So. Oh, got it. The yeah. Predator. Yeah, The Predator. That was, <laughs> she's a monster. By the way, Carissa Qureshi, uh, let me get you guys the stats on uh, – on the legendary one, um, because she she wrestled in Iowa uh, this weekend. Okay, Carissa got third place. Um, she went six and one overall. She lost only the first match to the number one seed in the tournament, who is the number one ranked girl in the U.S. by Flow Wrestling at one twelve. That's the girl she lost to. Wow. Wow. And and then ran off six wins in a row after that in a tournament. How about that? Yeah, that's crazy. Imagine yeah, if incredible. they had an ADCC rule set. Oh, oh my god! The yeah, would just mow through people. She's she is just such a monster and yet so lovely. We got to get her on the show, right, Will? We got to have her on, right? Totally, totally. So uh, she bet. Yeah, she won six. Uh, for Ethan, the the Bruce Lee of Irvine, he went three and two overall. He got to the round of sixteen in the seventy person bracket. So that's pretty good for Ethan. But the competition for guys is so much harder. Um, this this will t- at the at the start of the show. I had mentioned that the kids program at GB Irvine HQ is monster. This is. This is a this is an example of that. These kids started wrestling in basically in high school when they started high school, but their grappling background was superior, right? Yeah. They, that place they build monsters yeah. out of these kids, and it's just a reflection of that. Well, it's also a reflection of like who they are as individuals. These kids also. 
They had done one or two. I think they did two wrestling camps when they were in middle school, but that's only like a week or two weeks of wrestling. That's it. Yeah. I I remember talking. I remember talking to him a little bit. And I was like, so you can't pull guard, huh? And they're like, no, coach, that's can't pull guard. And it's like, and you can't oh choke God. people, huh? And they're like, oh no, we can't choke people. <laughs> like, you can't make people tap too either. And they're like, no, we can't make people tap. I'm like, is it fun for you? <laughs> oh my God. You know, <laughs> I was I, like, is it fun for you? It, it's definitely um, fun. When they have a gymnasium full of people cheering just for you know for them. And I I, I think you could argue they're the two most successful athletes to ever come out of that kids program i think their route has been different from the other kids so at some point within any jujitsu program at an academy you're going to have kids that are going to be pretty regular uh, participants in your program up until high school comes around so then high school comes around and you have some choices between high school sports it could be basketball, it could be volleyball, whatever, maybe it could even be wrestling. And so I think what happens is that kids make a decision, right? It's just like my kids, my kids, four and a half training, training jujitsu. Um, but when they get to high school, they may not have enough time for jujitsu. And um, so it's, I think it's just a matter of choices, but they chose a grappling route. And so I think that's probably, a ref- that's probably what you're saying is, uh, they're a product of that, right? You look at the, uh, there's another, like you look at Tyler, there's another another one, another one of those assassins that he didn't, he chose to go to, to college and be, orient himself as an academic. He still trains jujitsu, but he's not doing any competitive grappling. Yeah. yeah, he's not competing, but he's becoming the next best engineer that we're going to have. And so it's just a reflection of the route that they're taking. Um, but I think other kids would have a chance, but they're just the Karashi kids are, are doing a good job of taking their years of investment, their years of investment uh, within a grappling sport and just continue on in high school with it. Amazing. I just, I mean, what she's, what she's done from her last year at GB until now is just, it's in, it's unprecedented. I mean, she was the second fiddle in that family and now she's like a superstar. Oh, then his second fiddle, man. They're like it was Ethan and then the twins and then Carissa. <laughs> she was like the fourth fiddle. <laughs> this is so cold. All right, Nick, uh, what do you what do you got in your Kazono for uh, today? Because we got to get out of here. Oh uh, yeah, Anything I'm good. Else? Yeah, no. Cadelia against uh, 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 Nan Yan. Xiaonan, Xiaonan Yan. Did I say that right? Xiaonan Yan. Xiaonan. Xiaonan. I go with Xiaonan. I think that's okay. satisfactory. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. See, I learned some stuff when I was a GB Irvine, man. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Nick. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Gadelia, I don't know. I don't see her winning. I think, you know, I think the up-and-comer Chinese fighter will probably pick her apart from the outside, and she's a bit more hungry then the season Gadelia where she's seen success, she's seen sort of, you know, her mindset maybe isn't really in the right place to become uh, another uh, title contender anymore. I think those days are kind of behind her, even under the tutelage of Mark Henry. But who knows? You never know. I would be willing to bet that she will <laughs> not contend for a title again. She will not see Ioana across the cage from her again. 
Joanna, by the other hand, has really turned. I mean, she, after that last loss to Rose, the one she fought, if you haven't seen her fight with Zhang Weili, well, it is, uh, it is. Joanna's? Yeah, that was ridiculous. That was when ridiculous. She made, I uh, profile yeah. Joanna look like the elephant man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have, I, I, I think we've had a lot, Nick and I, over the couple of years, have had a lot of laughs at her expense, uh, not, you know, for being misty and saying she was the champion like a year and a half after she lost the belt. But, I always uh, thought she had the will to sort of always contend for the title. Now, you had a different sort of opinion and thought she was maybe not in that realm again, but I don't know, her, her losses were always very close you know, I mean, yeah, she lost to uh, Shurchenko, but who hasn't lost to Shurchenko? And that was a weight up. But as far as, like, fighting women her own sort of size, I mean, she could go toe-to-toe to pretty much anybody. I was, anybody. I was wrong. <laughs> Let me say that. Oh, For that's the, fair. That's the fair. One oh, this is recorded. This is recorded, right? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> it it's been – it's, That's going to be my ringtone for DJ. I was wrong. I was, I was wrong. wrong. I, I've, I've said that on like 57 different podcasts, but no, she's, she's amazing. I don't remember particularly what I said about her. I remember saying that I thought she was very misty for kind of having on her Twitter and everything that she was the champion after Rose had beaten her a year ago. Literally. And then, you, and then she had all these like beauty shots and yeah. she might've got a boob job. And oh like, yeah. Oh, she gets the yeah. Boob job, I think I did you know? think that. Yeah. I probably Which, did say that. Yeah. You know, that claim wasn't far. You know, that claim is, is, you know, there, there's some, there could be some truth to those types of claims and everything, but I don't know. Just nah, seeing man. her, She's... seeing her losses and they weren't they were close. <laughs> they were close losses to Rose. They're yes. the second fight against Rose and she looked, she looked pretty good against. Um, I thought she. I know, actually Michelle thought Watterson. she won that fight. But oh, I she's thought a so. Monster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the only major loss she had was against Shurchenko, which it's freaking Valentina Shurchenko, one yeah. of the greats. So Valentina's so the Khabib of of their division of their uh, their division. Um, Will, do you have anything else in the woo in the uh, what what the doctor ordered today? You have anything else? Did I did I use my entire word count at the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you, you did. Yes, we're not. No, you can't tweet anymore, Will. You you used up all your words. <laughs> <I'll cut Twitter. laughs> exactly. <laughs> DJ, if, if everybody could see at the beginning, DJ's face, he's so pissed. No, <laughs> no, 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 not no, at all, no. not at all. No, no, man. There, there is nothing. He's, no. I He's was, usually on the pale side, but he was all red. And I was no. Like, oh, man, what's going on? He's all pissed. I better shut up. No, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm red because I was teaching yoga tonight, and I believe I overdid it with my shoulder more than what the doctor wanted me to do, and now I kind of feel it. So I'm a little mm. I'm a little bummed about that. But anyway, uh, so what do we got mm-hmm. next uh, we have coming up? So this weekend we have uh, – well, Dos Anjos is next weekend, uh, the 14th. And Makachev, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice card. Uh, what is that? UFC Fight Night twenty two. But uh, this weekend, is that a free fight? Or is uh, that that uh, is ESPN that plus? Th- that might Should be, be on free. ESPN Plus. It's not um, a pay per view. This weekend is not a pay per view. It's just it's no. like a fight night or whatever. But yeah, yeah, Thiago Santos return to Thiago Santos. Very and, uh, excited about that. Over. Yes, very exciting. I guess I'll. Man, I don't even know how to, if I had to pick, I mean, I, I really like, I, I guess I'll go with Santos, but no, I really don't know what I'm getting, man. It wouldn't shock me if, 
if Teixeira gets a, tech, a takedown. And, and Tiago off his back is good, but he's not good enough to fend off. Uh, Glover on top is, is just another animal. So, all right. Uh, so next weekend, what do we, uh, we got to see who we're going to have on next week. We'll have to figure that out if we're going to do what kind of a show we're going to do next week. So we'll talk about that and see who we can get on. Right guys. Will I'm waiting for, I'm, you said LeBron, I'm waiting for that. Show. <laughs> oh my God. If LeBron I'm came on, I'll be lucky if we can get Carissa Qureshi, but, uh, I, I'll ask Riz again. Okay. I'll ask Riz again if we can get the Predator uh, on here. You All said right? you had some kind of Ohio-Cleveland <laughs> connection. I'm oh, waiting. my God. If LeBron came on, I think I would have a heart attack, man. Um, <laughs> in, in addition to all the money you pay Nick and I to be on this podcast, yeah. the, other, the other thing was having LeBron on. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, I'm I, just waiting. We're waiting. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna tweet to Rich Paul and see uh, how many ways he can tell me to f off, uh, <laughs> and how many different Ohio dialects he can tell me that. All right, um, all right, guys. Uh, I want to say to you guys, it was great to uh, be here with you this week uh, for Doctor Will Wu, for Nick Cazono, the legend. We'll say one love, peace out, and we'll see you down the road and let me bring in priscilla there she is yeah prisca i'm sorry prisca smolens peace out everybody we'll see you next week <laughs>